1: And she, she said, my last name at that point was Kephart. She's like, is this Ms. Kephart? Carla, are you okay? She had clearly gotten my lab results back and they come back as physicians when someone gets their lab work done and it's a critical level, they get them immediately. Um, They get the call from the lab, they immediately call. And so she was calling me and I was in this haze of sleep and I just, she said, are you okay? And I said, I think I'm dying. And she said, I think you are too.
0: Hello you gorgeous people, now this week I was having to think about how to introduce Carla Adkins who is our wonderful guest and you know what there aren't really any words that do Carla's um, energy and story justice really so I'm gonna have a go but you're just gonna have to take my word for this and uh, trust me when I say that this is an absolutely incredible and deeply important podcast where we're going to talk about some some really really um, powerful topics um, and we're going to do it in a light way that really makes sense. Now Carla's got a book coming out soon called And She Came Tumbling Down where she talks about her journey through alcohol, her journey um, through cirrhosis and her healing and recovery and we're gonna really take a deep dive into some big topics here. We cover stigma in a way that we perhaps haven't done before. We really, that we don't leave any kind of stone unturned and we really have an amazing conversation And, and me and Ellie I mean I guess the word privileged we feel really lucky to have had Carla on the show and um, we we just know that you're going to get a huge amount from it and there's so many ideas have sparked from this podcast there's so many ideas that we've got for future episodes and, and things that we'll be doing as we move forward so um, yeah buckle up it's a great one and we can't wait to put this out into the world and uh, and share this so hey other than that you know on that note go on give this a share if you know somebody who you think is going to benefit from the, either this podcast or the podcast generally then please give us a share you know when someone passes it on with a personal recommendation people are so much more likely to listen to it and um, we really do try and cover all bases here from people who are still drinking to people who have stopped drinking But wherever you are on your alcohol-free journey we we want to appeal to those people so um so yeah p- uh, what's the word pass it on send it on with a bit of love let someone know this week that hey i really think you should tune into this i really think it could be uh, helpful for you and uh yeah Love you all, as ever, and uh, I'll pass you over to me, Ellie, and Carla. See you there.
2: Hello. Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast this lovely Tuesday. The day that we are recording, it's the hottest day in the UK, and we're melting. So you might hear the dulcet (laughs) tones of a fan or two going on in the background. And you'll also hear the dulcet tones of a lovely friend of ours. We've got the lovely Carla here with us. Hello, Carla. Hey,
1: Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I've been really looking forward to this.
2: Oh, God. I'm, I'm, oh, shit. I just realized I haven't got the tissues with me. I might need to escape <laughs> to get the tissues in a minute. This is going to be a phenomenal episode. So uh, I, I first met Carla when I was doing the live alcohol experiment as a participant back in January 2020. And I just fell in love with you, Carla. I'm not, I don't want that to sound weird, but I just I did. <laughs> <laughs> all of the coaches were magnificent. You, they all were, but I just you know when you feel a connection to somebody, and yeah. um, you you were just so wonderfully vulnerable, and you offered so much hope, and it was it was just a delight. That that whole experience for me was a delight, and as people know I then went into coach training and you were there as a support for me when I was going through my coach training and certification what have you which you know meant a huge um uh, it it was a huge deal for me and uh you know I just looked up to you so much so it's this is like this is just all kinds of lovely and I'm so excited that you're here because you've got your new book coming out which is just like magical absolutely magical and you sent it to us a little while ago in preparation for this. And in typical form, I was leaving it to the last minute. I thought, I'll read it at the weekend. I put a little bit of time aside at the weekend. And it was so funny. I started to read it and I was like, shit, I just, I, I couldn't put it down. I literally could yeah, not awesome. put it down. I was devouring the whole thing and it was so incredibly moving. I just, oh, it, I don't even know what else. I don't think I can put words to it. It was so compelling, and just so much packed in there, which we're, we're going to talk about in this this episode. So I won't go and ruin that. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I'm just so thankful to have you here. And what might be a good place to start is for you to share with us, you know, how the book came into existence, and yes. why why the why your story and why now.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. And I love that. And I first want to say thank you for that intro. That means a lot. And I want y'all to know I'm a little starstruck sitting here with y'all. <laughs> I love your podcast. I'm a big fan. And I just um, when I first became alcohol free podcasts were my education tool mm-hmm. and y'all do yeah. such a good job of that. And um, so I'm always sharing it with others. So thank, thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, and yes, the book, let me tell you, I did not did not want to write it. I, you know, it it was very scary. And you know, I'll probably mention a few times I I work with my own coach, um, Lorna Wilson. And I always think every coach needs a coach. Mm -hmm. And at first I was really working on a course because that was my comfort zone. And looking back, I can tell because I could still sit back and control my narrative a little bit. Yeah. And when working with Lorna. Um, you know, it was really where we started to dig into my whole story and really push to those places where I wanted to keep those doors shut. Mm-hmm. And, um, after working on that, talking about my diagnosis of cirrhosis, something that I swore, and I talk about this in the book and coaches training, Annie had mentioned, you know, where's the place that you're not clear? You know, where's the, you know, because basically you need to look there. And I remember, to my core feeling, I will never discuss that. Mm -hmm. I was totally comfortable talking about my anxiety, but not my diagnosis. It had, um, I carried a lot of shame about that. Um, And so clearly I I needed to work there. And I worked on a course for a while and I, you know, I have a lot of um, really a strong desire to communicate with healthcare providers because of my story. And I I remember one of my doctors that I'm close with, she actually wrote the afterword of the book. She said, Carla, you know, people need to hear why they need to take your course. Like you've got, she said it this way, you've got some serious street cred. Okay. They need to hear about your journey to say, oh, I want to hear about how she did it and then Mm -hmm. go from there. And that, um, I knew it deep down, but I was scared. And, um, then the pandemic hit. And seeing how just alcohol took off, I mean, we always, the memes and all that, they're always there, right? But just really took off with even it becoming, you know, an essential thing. So for people to go get at stores and all of the things and, um, but then hearing about the rise of liver disease um, during that time and the specific impact on young women And there was just this bubble inside of me, this energy where I just, I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop it because I was like, I just want to share. And um, because if my story can help someone else, then it's a hundred percent worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a combination of, you know, being on this health journey for a while. I'm really excited. The book officially launches September 7th. September 8th will be eight years for me. Um, and so it's really, I love numbers and all that. And it's just really symbolic for me of just the journey of healing and freedom. And, um, it was to, I needed to heal. I needed to heal and it needed, I needed all that time to be able to tell it all. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a couple of different things working, but definitely the pandemic and just seeing what was happening. Um, Really just, I knew I couldn't be silent any longer. Yeah,
2: yeah it's it's so interesting. We, we did a couple of episodes where we talked about the comfort crisis. And I know for myself, like whenever anything is intensely uncomfortable, then all I have to do is to think about the people that I'm talking to, my purpose. And it's not to say that it necessarily takes the nerves away. can still have like the physical feeling of it but it's it it has a completely different light cast on it and just as you say like that is so critical like what happened with the pandemic and 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 just as you said like for women I don't know whether I felt it more acutely being a woman and being a mother but it's i'm not saying that men didn't have a, a oh yeah time. Believe
1: me, it's there too yeah
2: yeah but it people's drinking really changed and took on a different tone and fortunately for some that meant ab- complete abstinence but not necessarily being happy but just knowing that they couldn't like it, it and, and that would have been me you know mm-hmm. and i and i was bumping right up against it so it was the live alcohol, the live alcohol experiment in January 2020. That was right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, if I if I hadn't done that and I was still drinking, I would have been right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the one of the things that I think is so important that we want to get out of this conversation is that it's not like, and part of the reason that we put the podcast together, it's not like there are different types of people here. It's mm-hmm. not like you know, these things affect certain people or you've got to like, what's what's the magic amount to drink? Like it it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And one of the really lovely things that is right at the beginning of your book is where you, um, my husband's about to come and interrupt me with some shopping. One of the things that you write about right at the beginning is freedom from alcohol is very real. Mm-hmm. And for like those words are so important because like I don't have to think too far back. and I, I just would never have believed that that was even possible. And to hear that coming from somebody with um, this kind of a story, I think wow. is just like it, going back to the discomfort, however uncomfortable you are. like it I, I can understand that feeling that groundswell
1: that you feel like it has to it has to come out. Yes. And there's so many important things here. One, you know, there's not a special number, you know, of, okay, you drink this amount. There's not this certain equation that, okay, this equals this, and then you're going to get sick. It doesn't look like that. You know, I learned that the hard way. Um, and another thing that is powerful. And one of my favorite things in the book is the foreword written by my physician. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like you stop there. Um, she is so important in my story and both of my physicians are, um, but just really taking the time to educate me, to see me in that shame cycle and to really help me understand, you know, this happens like, you know, they see people that, you know, have a few glasses of wine a night and end up with hepatitis or, or people that drink like themselves until they're pickled and they're still walking around just fine. Like there's not, there's not a certain person. And I feel like this, you know, we're all playing this game of Russian roulette, just playing around with alcohol, not realizing the truth behind it, the truth of what it is, what it does to our bodies. And also, I felt the need to have a healthy face on the other side of addiction. You know, I think it tends to be a really dark world. Um, and it was one of my light bulb moments with my physician um, where she really sat down and um, she, ta- she now calls it therapeutic empathy, um, something that she was taught not to do in medical school decided to do differently with me. And she saw the impact that it had because yeah. just somebody sitting down with you and saying, listen, you can do this. And this is my journey. This is what I've seen alcohol do. Um, And you don't have to drink anymore. You don't have to do this. And there was just this light bulb that went off. I was like, here's this young professional woman, beautiful smart, intelligent woman. And she's telling me that she doesn't drink for these reasons. And it just was like, I remember sitting there going, I want to do this for somebody one day. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, here I was completely yellow in the hospital, like, and she just, just that moment. And I was like, I, I'm going to do this. And that was really powerful. And, but it's important for people to know, because I think another thing that people ask me right off the bat, and I understand why they're asking it. I totally do. So I want to say that up front, but when I'm coaching in big groups is how much were you drinking? How much they want to know specifics. And I know why they're doing that. I would have done the same thing because I would be checking with myself say, okay, well, she was doing that. So, whew, I'm in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I always, I try and be very honest about that, the, what drinking and the amount that I was drinking by just telling my story, but not getting into specifics because the comparison game in this journey can be a really dangerous one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And you okay. see people do that a lot, you know, um, from the get go, well, they drink this much. I, you know, and then they say, I have a problem, you know, we're always comparing, um, and forgetting that beautiful question of, well, how's it serving me? How is my body feeling? How is, you know, and, um, me not realizing how sick I was getting, my body was telling me, um, I just didn't know it at the time. And so I'm always, you know, I always want to be kind and gracious when people ask that, but. you know, really get to the bottom of why they're asking that. Um, because again, it's, I, I always say I would have done it too, but that was where a dangerous thing I was comparing myself to others constantly not realizing where, what dangerous territory I was in.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're in a world where people, I think, um, it's so subtle and kind of, uh, ingrained into our thinking and society that we don't even notice we talk about you know please drink responsibly at the bottom of posters like you know the assertion is well if you can't it's on you it's not on us so big alcohol kind of love that one and it's sort of all these things are so subtle that unless you're unless you wake up to it you're not going to see it and then when you do and you look around you're like what the because it's crazy it's like you see this whole portions of society kind of slipping and they don't even know it's happening um yes. which is yeah so I mean I I hear and like the idea that people feel as if there's no other way they're kind of like well you either drink you, you like you drink normally right mm-hmm. or you are one of them and you know I wouldn't go near those labels or those words so that's it and then you like in this this area in the middle which I mean it's yeah it's not a nice place to be Um, and the more people that understand that, no, there's way, there's as many ways to freedom as there are people. And that, that, that anyone like that, but your book is such a powerful messenger for that. And I, yeah, I think it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you. And yeah, Ellie, to go back to what you said, if someone, someone did ask me a while years ago, they're like, if you could tell yourself one thing back then, you know, what would you tell yourself and it would be that freedom is possible. I had no idea. I had no idea that this um and it is, it's important for me to because of the extent of my drinking and where it took me in my world, most people will be like, well, she's a lost cause. She's one of those, you know. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true. The brain still works the same and, you know, working to change and um the fact that there's nothing in me that um, wants to drink and that I just truly celebrate, celebrate that freedom. And again, I can see it in others. And I'm just so incredibly grateful. I just had grown up with the idea of, again, just like Sam, you said, it was this line in the sand. It's us versus them. They, you know, it's you're normal or not normal. And think about just those words right there you like, well, shoot, I want to be in the normal group. So I fought so hard against that line. I fought so hard against that word. And, you know, meanwhile, that word means no sense. And um, it's just, I, I didn't, you know, instead of the questions that I think that there is a beautiful movement happening now with podcasts like these and, you know, books and talking about And you see it in the explosion in the alcohol-free drink industry, that there's a movement happening where we're shifting. And I'm so incredibly excited about that because I'm like telling you the difference between the way the conversation eight years ago compared to now is a totally different ballgame. Again, we have a lot, we have a lot of work to do, but it's starting and that excites me. That excites me for my daughter. That excites me for the young ones Um, because I would love, I would love, love, love to just normalize, normalize, not drinking.
2: Yeah, I do. I I look to smoking and I just think like we're heading in the same direction. I'm I'm not sure what the pace will be, but you know, it seems crazy. Now there's a picture of um, the early days when I was dating my husband and I'm sat in a bar, and I've got a cigarette in my hand, like in, inside. And, it's, yeah. and and whenever I looked at that picture, I was like, "Wow, that it just seems like a lifetime ago, because it's so alien to us now." And it feels, it feels like alcohol is going the
1: same way, but just a, a, perhaps
2: a, a different pace.
1: Yeah, because um, you can't you can't ignore the health impact anymore, and I think that's where the conversation's going. And I can't wait to. Um, be having more conversations around this with healthcare providers, because especially the data coming from the pandemic of what is happening, it's really highlighting, um, the damage that's happening. But even before that, you know, there was the big Lancet trial where it's basically like, okay, we can't say there's any benefits anymore. All the negative outweighs any possible benefits, you know, Um, You know, we have the American Cancer Society changing, you know, that number to say, okay, no, you know, not drinking is the way to be preventative. Those are big things, you know, and again, that's just the start because, and that's why I've always called this my health journey, because that's what it is. And um, it's just has such a massive impact. On our bodies. And you know, I was talking to someone just the other day, beautiful, intelligent person. And this happens all the time, y'all, I know here it is coaches, but um and they're in the healthcare world, is she was like, I did not know it was a class one carcinogen. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. people don't talk about that, y'all. They don't talk mm-hmm. about that. And it's it's and it's not that's that's nothing new that has been, you know, on that list right up there with smoking for a long time. So it's really interesting.
0: Wouldn't it be great if we could move? And I think it's coming um, where we move into a world where the decision to s- just stop drinking is light, where it's just, you just go, I don't drink anymore. And you step into that rather than it be stepping into this kind of like heavy thing with stigma attached to it and all this kind like, that's, you know, it doesn't happen with anything else. You just stop yeah. doing those things, right? We, we just have this weird um, kind of standard that we, apply. I don't even know what the right word is, but this we've just innocently, I think, created layers and layers of thinking and belief systems around alcohol because of culture. And, you know, and, and it's, so much of it is kind of invisible. People don't even know it's there. But yeah, wouldn't it be lovely for people to just be able to to see the truth and then just be like, I'm not going to do that anymore.
1: (laughs) Yes. This is, uh, that is just a hot button for me. I love that you brought that up because, and I I say it in the book is that we have set people up to fail in this area. We have set because of, it's this difficult conversation or you have to sit down and I can't talk to them about that because, Ooh, uh, why not? Why not? And it's because of this us versus them, this normal, not normal. Hey, guess what? If you say that you have a problem, guess what? You can never drink again. That is jarring. Again, when we, it is everywhere we step out in our society, instead of just having a conversation, just like you said, and saying, you know what? I think I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, and really just, and people like, okay, cool. I think that's great. Um, a lot of people do that, but it's really in our society as it is to stop drinking, you have to have a problem or as a woman, you have to be pregnant, you know, or, you know, there has to be this big thing. Cause why would you stop drinking Yeah, this thing yeah. that we put up on a huge yeah. pedestal?
2: There, there was a part in the book where you talk about uh, like the the scenario of being offered a drink and you, you say, I'll, I'll have a, a water or whatever. And it's like, well, you're not going to you don't want a glass of wine. You're not going to have a glass of wine. And you make the point that if somebody asks for a glass of wine, they don't get bombarded with, well, are you sure you wouldn't like a soft drink? Are you sure you wouldn't like a water? <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: that I love, I love it. Cause that's mm. something that is really, when I'm having conversations with people about it, it really lands well, like on um, my sis, my, my sisters have been so beautifully supportive to me in this journey and me trying to explain to them. And that scenario really landed with them. They're like, Oh yeah. gosh, <laughs> like you're right. If I, if someone had done that to me, like if I said, yeah, I'll have read. And they were like, are you sure we've got Water or tea? They would be so offended, yeah, and yeah. like, oh, shot, like it just. But yet, the reverse is normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you sure? We've got all all these alcohol beverages. No, I'm good with water, and you have to explain yourself, yeah. And um, that makes no sense. Those are the things, Ellie, that I can't wait for us ten years from now to be having a conversation and laughing, like. Do you remember when it used to be like this? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and this is this is why like, everything that we're all doing and I talk about is all collectively like the sober community, all of the other TNM coaches, all of the other sobriety coaches from different methodologies. It's so important because slowly but surely this narrative is changing and we're getting rid of this. This myth that there are two types of people. And what you talked about earlier with the like that question that everybody wants the answer to, well, how much is too much? Like, it, it, as you said, it's the wrong question, mm-hmm. and you can lull yourself into a false sense of security. And this, I, I loved the the phrase that you used. You said "dangerous territory" because that's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I can Sam's dying to say no, something, no. but in uh, I, what would be really I think helpful. Um, Once Sam said, what he wants to say is to talk. uh, I I would really like our listeners to have a little bit more of your background in terms Mm of um, like the early part of your story, and then that um, the. I mean, the the chapter yellow for me is kind of like the like a massive like slap around the chops. Like I could feel like I can feel it well enough. Like just everything falls out from underneath you. I would love to just be able to give a little bit more context behind what we're talking about, but what yes. do you do you want to say? No, Sam? no, but no, what I'm super to excited say? to hear that as well
0: because um, <laughs> yeah, I like, like we'll, we'll talk more about that chapter in the, in the book, but no, just that if you think about, you know, with smoking, we have a different paradigm in the way that we think about it. We don't think about it in terms of how much do I need to drink over a length of time to end up somewhere. Everyone knows one cigarette, right? It's one cigarette, but it's toxic. And with everyone you'd like, you know, it is Russian roulette every time. Who knows? For some people, it might trigger something after, like, not very many. For some people, it may be chain smoking. So the, the way we think about it is different. And the, the studies that are happening around moderate drinking now, slowly but surely, it's shifting to that with drinking so that people can see, like, oh, so, like, one glass of wine a night, actually, that increases my chance of breast cancer by this much or this by this much. So the paradigm is shifting away from one of, like, what kind of person I need to be. And what kind of drinker I need to be into, no, it's a drug and yeah. it does this and it doesn't do that. And this is the reality and this is the risk and it, it, there's risk for everybody. So you do what you want to do with that. And personally, I think we're probably, I'm, I'm all powerful people choosing what they want to do. If you've got the information and you choose to smoke or drink or use drugs, that is your stuff. I've gotten, I've honestly got no opinion in demonizing anything, but you've mm-hmm. got to know, you've got to make those decisions based on truth. And yeah. based on the facts, right?
2: And and part of it is people don't have the information, right? Yeah. So many times I hear people say, like, well, I've had my blood work done and, you know, my liver function showing is showing as okay, right? But have you had it scanned? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a documentary a guy called Adrian Charles did here in the UK It's called Drinkers Like Me. And you, you can imagine what was going on in that documentary. Like, he was, yeah. he was contemplating, well, how can you drink within the, you know, guidelines? because it's such a minute amount, not like nobody drinks like that. So this is kind of the context of it. And he um, he didn't, on, on the first of it, didn't seem to be drinking excessively. He was drinking beyond the guidelines and really struggling to, uh, he could bring his drinking down, but again was miserable and missing out and all the rest of it. But there was a really poignant part of that documentary where he'd had blood work done, lip, liver functions okay. And then he had it scanned and he came out and he looked white because he'd been delivered this news of the state that his liver was in. And this is the problem, like we, we, might, <clears throat> we might have some of the information like, you know, I, I would have been writing confirmation bias, looking for all of the reasons why it's okay to drink, not really wanting to hear about it being a carcinogen, it being a poison and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But you know, like deep down, you know you, you're, you're freaking kidding yourself. Because you you can't cut yourself open and have a look and see what's going on inside, mm-hmm. and it's like n- nobody's um, immune. It, no, it, nobody. So, uh,
1: it, yeah, and I agree. There's so many things that y'all are saying that I'm like I want to jump out of my seat. I feel like we could have ten podcasts yeah, because yeah, man, we because <laughs> the whole science of sharing and and it's and again it goes back to what I said about people have been set up to fail in this area because of false information. And how many times will you still talk to people? Well, you know, it's have a drink to help me sleep at night, or, you know, I do it for the cardiovascular benefits. And it makes me like, want to scream. And because it's just science proves it, but we see people constantly sharing headlines because those headlines make them cells feel better when they don't actually read the study or really find out what's going on. And, um, the thing is when things, something does happen with our liver, I mean, it's, it's scary. This organ, as I learned all too well, let me tell y'all, it does a lot for our body. It's very important. And when it is not functioning, um, it's, 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 it's horrible. I don't know how to even put that into words, but again, you also have that here, that constant, Oh, it's the, you know, liver, It you know, it's regenerative. It does all. Yes, it does. It works so hard for us. It does. But when we, I say, even in book, even the best fighters go down, mm-hmm. you know, it can only do so much, but I feel like Like you said, Sam, I just, I'm not out to demonize anything either. I just want people to be empowered with the right information so they can make that decision for themselves. And that's even what I do with my daughter. I I just tell her the truth about it and just keep talking to her about it and tell her, you know, you might make that decision one day, but I'm going to make sure when you make that decision, if you decide to drink, then you're going to be doing it with all the right information. and, And there you go. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's going to be the, that's where I feel like we're going to see the massive shifts where people are, uh, you know, with the right information, the narrative will start to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, back to, I want to tell you too, but that chapter, um, yellow is very near and dear to my heart. When I wrote it, I was feeling those emotions when I, and I'll, I'll give the lead up to it, but I mean, I'm glad I just means glad that you mentioned that it's one of my favorite um, chapters of the book. Cause um, you know, at the beginning I really shared, I wanted to share a piece of me and that was hard. Cause I talk about, you know, some big things that happened to me in my life. But again, in thinking about the perspective, I wanted the reader I'm, the and the readers, multiple people, right. The reader is me, but the reader is also my mother, my sister, um, my healthcare provider to give a little glimpse of an understanding of what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we say all the time, it's not like, you know, we start off making this decision to jump in and go, hey, I want to become addicted to alcohol and I want it to just completely take me out. Did not start that way. You know, um, I talk a lot about. In the beginning of the book about my anxiety, anxiety was something that was very real for me. Um, And, and, and again, that was the part of the my story that I was comfortable sharing because I feel like we've come a long way in this area with understanding anxiety, talking about it and sharing. Um, It wasn't the case that so much when I was struggling with it, Um, but the problem with my drinking is it looked very normal because it, again, we hear people about, oh, they're going to college. They're supposed to be drinking, that's supposed to be happening, you know? Um, I worked at a bar. I did, you know, it's just, that's normal, right? I'm putting air quotes out there to people that are listening, but we send our kids off into this place. And, you know, everything that I've learned now about alcohol, that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about is, oh my gosh, the dangers of knowing what we know, but yet we're going to send our young ones out that are still, you know, their brains are still forming and say, okay, drinking is normal. And that's just what happens. And so I just, again, had that mindset. I had the mindset of this is normal. I'm in college. I also had the mindset, Sam, that I was like, well, I'm not one of those. So, you know, I'm good. Um, but what started to happen in college because my, my anxiety was so intense and I, it, I really struggled. I talked about how anxiety really started to weave its way through my life and it started to impact me in classes, um, grocery stores driving, you name it. And it was, it was miserable. Um, and I found at the beginning that alcohol truly helped with um, making me feel normal, felt a little normal. Well, it, it was even
2: reinforced by your doctor at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh,
1: oh yes. I talked about, because I have this um, benign essential tremors and you know, it's where you have this shake to your hand But with my anxiety, it would just amplify it so much, which again, then again, added to my anxiety in grocery stores, driving, because I would be shaking. So one of the things when doctors were diagnosing that I had these essential tremors where they asked me the question, like, and this is a neurologist, you know, it wasn't just someone at an urgent care down the street, it was, you know, a neurologist. So it's his specialty. And he's like, do your tremors stop when you drink? And I thought, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause they, it did it. Drinking stopped that shake to my hand. And this is a different shake. This isn't a shake that is associated with drinking. It just was always there and, um, and would get really bad if I was having a panic attack. And he was like, okay, we'll just then have a few drinks. And I remember sitting there on that table feeling so defeated because I think we talk about that knowing things deep down. Mm-hmm. I knew at that time, deep down, I didn't like how I was drinking. And i like to say that um, because I was giving alcohol a job in my life, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I think that's important to talk about, it was, it was filling a role. I had hired it to, you know, what I'm really tired of feeling up here at a 10, I really want to feel calm. And so alcohol got that job. And we all know as coaches and knowledge around this is that will work initially. And that's the teaser. That's the hard part is that it does work. Um, so then, you know, social events, I would, you know, like, oh, okay, well, I'll, you know, have a few drinks, but again, we're all talking, this is all very normal things to do in college. Um, and so, but when I, if I look back now, that's really where it was starting to get a hook because of the jobs, you know? Um, and because the problem is then I associated, okay, anxiety, whew, I've got my tool for that. Yeah, I'm good. And again, speaking of dangerous territory, that's dangerous territory. And that's so important for people to know, because how many times do we say to people, or do you hear, Oh, just relax, go have a drink. Again, it's that normalized conversation um, that people don't know what they're really talking about. I had no idea that, you know, alcohol was, you know, a depressant and a stimulant. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was actually amplifying my anxiety on the tail end. No clue. I did not know that until after I stopped drinking. After all that time, I remember just being clueless. And um, but I wanted to know where my anxiety went. And I, because that was my biggest thing that stopped me from stopping drinking. It was like, you can't, because that is the only thing that helps smooth my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it really, and as you, when we give it jobs, I think that's where alcohol, just like anxiety started weaving its way into my life and, you know, being a professional and working, I was good at what I did. And, um, I was able to put on a good face and, you know, pretend to the world that all was fine, but I also knew I couldn't wait to get home and have that drink. Um, so I could feel better, um, you know, relax, disconnect, all of those things. Um, and I think another thing important thing to note here is that my anxiety really, because anxiety looks and presents differently for everybody. For me, it really um, really made me physically sick. Um, there was so many times that, you know, it would actually, you know, with the shaking, the fatigue, it would make me, vomit it would so it was very confusing to me once I didn't know the difference between alcohol making me sick and anxiety making me sick and you know I think it was another one of those deep down things that I I always blamed it on my anxiety but deep down was worried like okay I didn't know what was what anymore
0: it's um it's a real double bind I hear a lot of myself in your story in the sense that when I was a teenager, I had quite, quite strong OCD and alcohol was when my brain just went. "Ah." And so by the time I was in my early 20s, like basically from day one, I was dependent from the moment I drank unbeknown to me at the time, there was this perceived benefit of like the quiet mind um, that it seemed to offer. And so by the time I was in my early 20s, like when I, when I looked back, when I stopped drinking when I was like 20, 28 or so, about seven years ago, I looked back and I was like, holy shit. Like this has been a problem since I was like 50. Like I had no idea until I looked back and just went, Oh, it, like, it's so clear. The writing was on the r- wall from like day one. And yes. that bind of like waking up with that acute, almost like, you know, visceral sense of anxiety. That you can't decipher where it's coming from but you know it goes away when you drink but you also know it's coming from the alcohol but you also know that it's always been so like and like for people to know that actually because i think to step out of the alcohol cycle out of the washing machine i sometimes say and realize how much of it is the cycle and get a real good read on like what of it is kind of like what's going on inside your internal world, what's going on with, because of you and your set point and what's going on in like taking ownership of that and going on that journey. That's so rewarding because to be rid of all of the unnecessary anxiety is such a gift. It's such a gift, isn't it? Right.
1: Oh, talk. It's another layer of that freedom yeah. that I, you know, that I experienced once I stopped and got out. Of, I love that getting, getting out of the washing machine. I think it's important to note too, like, it's not, I was seeking help throughout this whole time. Like I would go to counselors, I would go, um, and I would, it was all about my anxiety. We never really talked about drinking that wasn't really brought up. Um, and, but I think the thing is important for people to know is I was getting all kinds of tools for them, but we need to challenge ourselves. Cause I would always say, well, nothing works well, I wasn't really allowing anything to work because when we're throwing basically gasoline on a fire. So, you know, the fire is the anxiety and I'm throwing gasoline on that. No, my breathing techniques are not going to work as well because I'm not my, just your nervous system, you know? Um, And, you know, even medicine, this is when I definitely, Clearly my subconscious, I knew I didn't like my drinking because I didn't want to combine medicine and alcohol. I just kept my medicine of alcohol on board, Um, but I really didn't allow things to work. So I always encourage people because as much as I talk about the relief that I felt when I stopped drinking from anxiety, it didn't mean that I didn't need to work on it still. It just was now my body was at a set point, as you say, that, okay, I could now learn these tools and they could actually work, you know, they could actually really be powerful tools and work. Um, It also was really helpful for me to see the power of, you know, those good old neural pathways and changing, you know, the narrative going on in my brain and how powerful that was with alcohol. Basically when I could put alcohol down, I knew I could do anything. It became my superpower. I'm like, I know I can do this. I feel anxious right now, but I know I can do these certain tools and I will get through this on the other side. Um, But a lot of people are struggling, but yet they're not giving their, their therapy a chance. I talk with this about my, with my friend, that's a trauma counselor as well. She, all she does is trauma work. And you know, with all of our conversations now around alcohol, it's one of her things to really specifically tell people they really need to be not drinking when she works with them because her work is not as impactful. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um,
1: there's so much because alcohol is this underlying, it's stopping us, it's this block from getting um help because of again, what it's doing to our nervous system. And I didn't know all of those things at that mm-hmm. time.
2: Mm-hmm. Can you take us up to that point where? Where things got really serious, Carla, and where mm-hmm. you you had to you had no choice but to stop.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is, um, you know, I, the lead up in the book, and we were talking about this chapter, yellow, and it just kind of takes you up to that point where, you know, all of me trying to misfix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to all of these things. I knew something was wrong with my body. But again, I just didn't know the difference of, I didn't know what it was like to feel good anymore, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but the severity of what was happening. And clearly I knew um, some things, you know, about the liver from my, my good old Google researches, I called it Dr. Google, you know, you hear about the yellow, hence the, the name of the, the chapter. And I used to do this thing and I'm, I'm so glad I shared, I actually shared it in a big path group once. And I got all of these messages afterwards. It was these me too, me too. And I'm like, I'm glad I did that. But it, it basically, I would get in my car ready, getting ready for work. And I would look at the whites in my eyes to see if I saw yellow again, talk about the insanity. Clearly my body is telling me this is not good. You're looking for signs of your liver being in trouble um, yet not, you know, doing anything about your drinking again, several attempts to stop. It's not like I didn't ever try and stop, but, um, and I take you to that day where I look and there it is. And there's the yellow and my whole world just fell out from underneath me and the fear set in, cause it was one of those, this, it was the beginning to the loss of the control of my, my story, the plates that were spinning started falling. Um, and I always say, this is also my, the sign of my people pleasing at the time, because I was actually in a wedding that weekend. And the fact that I was still in this wedding is beyond me. Um, but at this time, again, my body, I was having low grade fevers, not a true fever. And I was very sleepy, had no idea. Those were very dangerous signs of big liver issues. Um, and, um, my boyfriend at the time who I'm now married to this amazing man, Grady, Um, he is a physician and he obviously knew something was really wrong. And he had made a plan with another, one of our friends, that's a physician to take us, to uh, take me to the emergency room the next day. And again, I'm still just thinking I'm good. Maybe then they're going to help me stop drinking and then I can be good. And I was ready to take this load off, right? I was so ready. I just was terrified and had no clue how to get the words out of my mouth, you know, because again, we talked, I didn't want anybody to tell me I could never drink again. And then I wanted to control it all myself. Um, but getting to the emergency room, um, they immediately it was like, at that point, my body just said, I can't do this anymore. And, um, my whole body started turning yellow. And from that emergency room, they took me by ambulance to, um, the medical university of South Carolina, which is in Charleston. It's a big hospital system here. Um, and at that point, I remember I was very acutely sick and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And I think because of Grady and, and, and just the safety they knew if I did go home that I would go get blood work. So they, I was there for two days and then they, they let me go home again. I'm not drinking. So I'm thinking, thank goodness. Okay. I'm in the clear. My body's going to start healing. I'm good to go. I'm, but I was not, um, I did as they told me and I went and got blood work. My friend took me and I'll never forget, like my body was just, um, morphing into something. I didn't recognize the yellow, then the swelling and my belly was just growing. I didn't know at that time that was just fluid retention called the and, um, I got my blood work done, went home and went to sleep. Cause I could, I just wanted to sleep and I, my phone was ringing and this is just one of my, like, again, my moments that um, is very, it's, it's very emotional to talk about because um, I saw the phone ringing and it actually was Dr. Joplin who wrote the foreword of the book. And she, she said, my last name at that point was Kephart. She's like, is this Ms. Kephart? Carla, are you okay? She had clearly gotten my lab results back and they come back as physicians when someone gets their lab work done and it's a critical level. They get them immediately. Um, they get the call from the lab, they immediately call. And so she was calling me and I was in this haze of sleep. And I just, she said, are you okay? And I said, I think I'm dying. And she said, I think you are too. And at that moment, it just, all the plates fell, you know, and, um, I knew it was not good. And this is why I'm so passionate about people uh, talking about it. And I know it's scary. Uh, I do. I I, I know it's scary to have that conversation, but sometimes we get to this point of our stories where we don't have the ability to turn back and make changes anymore. You know, my body was shutting down and I was in liver failure. So um, the organ was just not working. And, um, and the, you know, the other hit is when she said, um, can you get here? If not, I'm going to send an ambulance to you. And again, it was this whoosh of the seriousness of what was happening. Um, and I immediately, Grady immediately came, my parents came immediately over and went down to Charleston. And that's where, you know, this, the journey began. I was there for two weeks and it was, it, it's, it's really hard to explain again, there was nothing they could do. I, there was nothing they could do. They could give me some little bit of medicine, but I was so acutely ill that there is a waiting game, um, to see if your liver starts to show signs of kicking back in. Um, and sadly, I, I've been in the position to share this exact story with someone that I was able to work with and I told her um beautiful beautiful woman I was like I was so that my liver it started to come back for me it started to come back but sometimes it doesn't and there would be nothing that they could do in that moment they cannot do anything to save you at that time and um she unfortunately did not listen, she wanted to, she wanted to get through the hard things. She was going to come back and work with me once, once things really got better, she would stop this drinking. And, um, I remember getting word and it really, um, just slamming me because there was no difference between she and I, there was no difference except hers didn't start back. And there was nothing they can do. And, um, so that's why I feel again, so passionate about sharing this. I'm not, I'm not blowing off the fact that it's scary and it's scary to talk about, and it's scary to talk to your physician and it's scary to get those numbers, but man, once you do knowledge is power. And I do not want people to be in the position that I was and to just be praying please let it start working. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it was, again, it was touch and go. I don't think I realized, and it's when I tell the story and I get emotional sitting here with y'all, it's, it's, that's when it, it still hits me how close I was um, to not making it. And, um, and again, I want people to have this picture. I was, working on a Friday. I was not on a street, you know, I hadn't been in jail. I hadn't lost my job. I hadn't done all these things that people picture the person that was in my position. You know, I was a friend. I was a girlfriend. I was a worker. I was all these things. And, um, but hiding, hiding a deep secret, um, that almost took me out. So it was, again, um, quite the healing journey from there. And there's a whole other bit that we can get to if we, if we have time. But the thing that I want to note about, and I think that was what's so powerful also in the foreword, is basically when I left that, you know, when I was well enough to leave, um, all the tools they can give you is like, okay, but what are, you can't drink. You can never drink again. Um, just don't drink. And in the moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to drink. And um, I'm on this. I'm going to do this, not knowing what I know now. And again, talking, and Dr. Joplin says that, and the just, did we set her up to, how did we set her up to be successful? We didn't. I had no tools to not drink again. That was the only thing my brain, knew at the time and um I didn't know that then I just thought okay just never gonna drink again I'm gonna do this thing I I know I've got this um but unfortunately it doesn't work like that
0: just um thank you for being so I mean not only to write the book Carla but to come and speak the story here and just the courage and like the amount of people that you're going to help is is just amazing and um yeah, I mean, I'm sure I can speak for me and Ellie to say like we would I think it would be amazing for us to sit down again for another, you know, long form convo where we can talk about the healing journey and talk about that mm-hmm. part because um I don't know, I get the feeling they're trying to condense that into like a 10 minute window. I think yes. it would be so wonderful no, for us to and explore I, think that.
1: I agree, you know, because it's there's there's a really big part next and um definitely not something that I want to shorten, yeah. but this um this conversation and I appreciate y'all giving me this space because it's, I, I do want people to hear that the empathy and then I get it. Cause I, I remember how scary it was, um, for me. Um, and, and it is, it's truly, I, and that's why I want to have great conversations with healthcare providers, because think about how frustrating it is for them too. Right. They tell you not to drink and meanwhile, they're not oblivious to the same things that we were all instilled with as far as how alcohol is and the role that it plays. Um, most physicians aren't studying alcohol, you know, um, it's, it's what, you know, I'm sure many of them believe, Hey, when I get off work, I'm going to go relax and have a drink, you know, like, But yet they know that where you are physically and they're like, I'm telling them one thing to do. And then they just don't do it. I can't imagine the frustration. Um, So my passion point is, is having them hear the story of the patient and to understand it's not, it doesn't work like that. And let's come together so they can understand the perspective of the patient and I just can't help but think of the amazing things that can happen and the changes that can happen, even just in those exchanges between patient and provider. Oh, I want that to happen so badly. And it can.
2: Mm-hmm. I, um, this has to be, we have to, we'll sort out part two after this, after we press stop. I think we've got a really lovely place to leave this. And I, for now, I mean. And I almost I want to come back to the words of your physician in the from the foreword, because there was something that really stuck out to me. What she said is sobriety has little to do with resources, intelligence, or fortitude. Sobriety is an awakening of the mind and a shift into reality that comes with courageously combating the deadliest effect of alcohol on the mind, shame. Hmm. And it does me chills. Yeah. It's I mean, wow! honestly, Carla, the, the book is wonderful. It's amazing. Incredible. It's, um, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm so grateful to you and to Lorna for, like what, what a lovely combo that is for her to have provided so much, spirit. there's another part that I want to come back to in part two, where you talk about your, um, your battle wound. Oh, Um, we have that is definitely part two.
1: And I have Lorna Wilson to thank for that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yes, that is definitely there's there's big things coming, but I'm so glad that we didn't skip anything in this conversation as far as the lead up, because that's so important too. because I want people to feel heard and I want I know there's so many people that can say, I feel that way too, or I do that too. And that's all, all of us sharing our stories and what it looked like. What did it look like for us? You know, which again brings another understanding to the loved one, to the family members, to, to the provider, to give a little bit of a perspective of what it's like in our shoes.
0: So, um, Carla, like, so for anyone who's tuning in, who, you know, would like to, reach out to you or, or, find out more about what you're up to and those, <clears throat> where can people find you? Like give us, give us all that, that cool stuff that you're up to.
1: Yes. No, I am. You can find me on my website. It's just Carlaadkins.com. I'll make sure that y'all have that. Um, the book will be out. Um, it is going to be available in August, cool. but it will be out officially um, September 7th, but I'm doing a pre-sale in August. August. And then I'm really excited because I wanted to, I wanted to have a place for people to go. And I work with some beautiful um, senior coaches with the Naked mind. We're starting um, a zero proof challenge that's starting the end of September because I want people to know, okay, then how do you do it? <laughs> what do you do? How do I start? And so, um, but you can find all of that information on my website, at Atkins.com
2: and the book i'm not sure we've said the title the title of the book is and she came tumbling down
0: yes and she came tumbling down i'll be uh i'll put that in the intro So <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <Definitely. laughs> don't worry about that well look thanks again for coming on and i thought you know we're super excited for uh for part two and i know our listeners will be as well carla so thanks so much for coming on
1: thank you so much thank you for your time i look forward to it thank you carla mm-hmm. well, lots of love
0: well, what an open loop that is and completely unintentional as well how it's kind of divided itself into into two journeys. Now, I cannot wait to release part 2 of this episode. Now I'm recording it. We've already recorded it. So, uh it's there waiting and it's going to be coming up soon. And um it's going to be coinciding with um the release of Carla's book and we're going to look through her healing journey and and it's just it's just even better than this first discussion. So um, get excited about that. As I say, please do spread the word. Go leave us a review. Let Carla know in the Facebook group what you resonated with or what you've taken away from today's podcast because it really means a lot to our guests when people reach out. And the, and the Facebook group is a community where we, well, we're well we trying to create something that you don't get in some podcast worlds where you can actually go and interact with a lot of the guests. So you'd be so very, very welcome um, to come and join us if you haven't already. Search us out, present and sober on, pod, um, on, on podcast, I was going to say, on Facebook hey look wherever you are have an um, a, an amazing week and um yeah we'll see you soon